Welcome to Verbal Art, a podcast where we talk about artsy stuff in different locations. Hey, so uh, to my regular listeners who are waiting for an episode every week, I truly apologize for being uh, so chaotic and uh, slacking off in the last month and a half. But it has been a bit crazy in my life with thesis deadlines and performances and my exam is tomorrow. And I I don't know, all this stress for a long time and all this work has, and the autumn, I've been sick on and off. But it's going better. And uh, after this exam, the thesis work will be completely done. And I think I can come, can make it back on track with this podcast schedule. It's not, um, I don't usually commit to a regular schedule like this. And so when I do, uh, it make it means something for me to uphold it. But in any case, now finally, uh, the Valisari walk and talk episode with Miriam Khas and Sian Finji, uh, where we visit Helsinki Biennale. This episode was actually recorded in September and should have come out a bit earlier, but it required more editing and I simply didn't have time for it. Uh, so uh, long awaited, better late than never. Enjoy. Moving away from the coast towards the island and leaving the mainland behind, the ferry follows its route, opening up the ocean space for a potential shift in perception. Floating on the mirrored surface, we stand on the deck and stare into the murky sea. We discern traces of light, time and forces that appear and dissolve into the watery mass. Together with the movements of the boat and the sea, our bodies sink into a deeper inhabitance of this space. Crow's nest, a seaman notices a single horizontal line. He's not sure what it means, shivering in the cold. Just the horizon or land in sight, it is up to him to define. He's tired. It was a long shift. He puts the decision on hold. A second vertical line appears after the ship moved on with constant speed. At the end of the line, Hidden in a low-hanging sky, a lighthouse at the end of the world. The ship, approaching further, steams its way through an open lead. After all this time, trapped on the ship, the seaman shouts a single word. 
The sound of land is crashing through his shipmate's polar madness. But after a short moment of joy, a third line enters the view, followed by a fourth, a fifth, and several more, refreezing the sadness. The ship carries on, iceberg ahead, and with it the crew. artsy people about the work that they do if you haven't heard before and uh, I always go in a new location so today I am in Vallisari uh, this little island outside of Helsinki where the Helsinki Biennale is happening and I am here with oh I forgot to ask if you use artist names or if you used your own names own names okay so I'm here with Miriam Gras is that correct Yeah. And uh, Sian Finji. Yeah. Yeah, I, I always <laughs> pronounce people's names wrong. Even if I know them when I'm recording, I get shy or something. <laughs> uh, so, uh, hi. Uh, you are, we're here with you because you did a guided tour here. So the Biennale has a lot of artists exhibiting. Uh, Miriam and Sian have not exhibited works here, but did do... It's like a curated, uh, guided audioscape, soundscape that you heard some of in the introduction. And I will add a link to hear the rest. And then um, a guided tour with selected works because you study curation in Vika, right? Is that what it's not called? Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Do you want to introduce yourselves maybe? So I, I just start with that. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> So the floor is all yours, Sian. Oh yeah, okay. Well, my name is Sian and with Miriam, my uh, colleague, co-worker, co-artist, Coco, uh, we were asked to participate in this um, collaboration between uh, Helsinki Biennial and Vika, which is Masters in Alte, uh in Visual Culture Creating and Contemporary Art. And what they wanted from us, if I may say so, was that we would we would come up with uh, some kind of mediation. So the idea of mediating uh, the biennial in a kind of personal way or linked to our research because we were never in charge of the whole mediation of the whole biennial, but more like a certain angle or a certain aspect. Um, yeah, I think we were as Vika, one of the five curatorial bodies of the biennial, the main curator, Joasha, invited uh, various institute people, groups to, to kind of carte blanche, come up with their own point of view towards the biennial and the topics they, they added to the biennial this year, agency, contamination, regeneration. Um, and then I think in a very curious way, uh, 
um, gave space to do, to those bodies or yeah including us to to create a program or a side program to to work with one of these topics so that's what we did and so within VK your study program you have also been like several groups or people doing several takes on this task right yes uh, well we were several people being invited mm. uh, on this project uh, if you want me to name them I can try so it was ourselves <laughs> <I'd be wanted>. uh, <laughs> Aska Mayer uh, Martina Sherushova if I pronounce right Mikol Kuratolo, Julia Fieder and uh, Clément Béraud who and we I did a podcast episode with previously yes. in Ham uh, episode at when uh, maybe thirty one or twenty nine I can't remember now it's only a few episodes ago talking about the Biennale in Ham yeah. not from his tour here but like the other part of the Biennale yeah, yeah I yeah. always cross reference yeah. for the yeah, listener yeah that's nice but also we did not collaborate at all the same kind of amount of stuff or the same things because we were proposed to either work on a text that would be featured in a publication mm-hmm. uh, or to and or to participate in these mediation events so for example Clément did the mediation event oh. the tour but he did not contribute to the publication uh, some other people did the opposite and we did both uh, yeah, you did a lot <laughs> <laughs> because we always want uh, more yeah right and so today for this interview we are gonna be focusing of course on what you two did because that's what makes sense um, but just so that people understand like this was one part of like a larger scheme of new initiative about how to add curatorial strategies or what you call it to to the Biennale as a body of work and we're gonna not do the exact tour that you have already done multiple times because uh, they told me that when we came here on the boat let's not do the exact tour again and I, I agree that might also be a bit much but uh, we will walk around and we will stop at some of the same points and we will talk some of the same topics and stuff and go a little bit deeper and we chose the windiest day of the month to come here and it's a small island so it's always windy but today is extra windy it is however sunny and it's the second last day the biennale is open so we didn't have a lot of leeway um but it's a lovely day it's a lovely day and i I really needed to come out in the sun a lot so um yeah so we're gonna be uh, stopping Oh, and I might be blasting the volume level here. Yeah, uh, we're gonna be uh, pressing pause and record a lot, and so the sound might change a little bit for you in your ears because I will be editing it all together afterwards. But that's the framework of today. We are standing in a little bit funny place now in the middle of a road because it's downhill and there's not so much so much uh, wind here. But let's just. As the last introductory part i think who are you as like individual artists or curators or what you like to call yourself if you want to give like a short uh meet me meet me halfway like yeah, yeah just yeah. stretch out a hand <laughs> to the listener halfway <laughs> all right uh so i'm miriam i have a background in fine arts but i think i never just was an artist who would just create i think i'm always way too curious to other people's practices so that's where curating 
stepped in as well. Uh, I think if I would have to describe my practice, I would identify it as non-hierarchical. So depending on my focus or my interest at the moment, um, which could be a site, which could be an event, which could be a movement, could be any topic really, um, I will question myself whether it's the best way to, to, to deal with this topic by creating an artwork myself or if there's others which are able to do a way better job at doing so. So then I would invite or work with others to, to communicate that idea. So uh, yeah. Yeah, I guess I have uh, maybe similar background in also fine arts, but uh, I think uh, maybe a bit unlike you or like you, I don't know, but I tend to approach, I think, everything from artistic point of view. So if I'm doing creating or, I don't know, uh, writing or uh, making a movie, I think all I do, I approach the same way because I'm myself with my brain. So I guess my brain works in, in a certain way. But uh, let's say that at the moment I'm really interested in like research, research topics uh, that are also... Uh, come in with Miriam and this is why we ended up working together and from there uh, I guess we also or I also adapt to the, the kind of the format that we can fit in so in this sense for this work itself uh, we decided we wanted to propose also a sound piece because then we uh, started to be interested in the sound in the first place so mm. then it made a lot of sense and then we found that we found out that the best way of sharing the sound piece was on the ferry to go to this island. So I think step by step we built like the yeah the artwork that you can also listen to. Mm. And if not on my more personal work, I'm right now uh, editing a documentary film that is also kind of surrounding the same topics of mm. the sea and art and science and research and yeah ecologies. Um, but yeah, but I also have other projects that are more experimental, so... Yeah, also yeah. it's okay, we don't need like the whole CV, we will add links if you have any to where people can find you. But it's just, it's interesting to know we, who we are talking to. It's something I didn't do as much in the early episodes, but I realized more and more maybe it's nice for the listener. And you two really are a pair, right? Like you met here, but like you say, you started working together. I don't think... I've rarely met any of you without the other. Like it's so <laughs> you are like you don't live together, but you work together, and and you yeah. always seem to uh, be together. So that's fun. Partners <laughs> <laughs> in crime, we are for sure. <laughs> um, do you want to quickly? In, uh, I think we should do the explaining the space so that the listener can be with us. We will do it shortly, like every place we go, just so or like a little bit here. So how does it look where we are standing right now? With words, because they can't see you looking around. So when we are looking around, I think we see a large amount of trees on this island called Palisari. Burgess, oaks, what else do we have? Some ferns, we have grasses. Grasses, what's this one? Do you know which tree this is? Uh, is it elm? An elm, maybe? I would like to I'm not that good with trees. You pointed out a lot of the ones I knew already. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's either ash or elm, this one. Or alder. Is it ash maybe? Is it the one that gets the little black fingers? 
Um, it's uh, it's still very leafy. I don't know. I don't know trees that well, but there are like a lot of good leafy trees. We're in and September. There are good leafy trees around here. It's September, sun. so it's still like super green. Yes, we have been blessed. Yeah. With this summery September day. Um, yeah, so we're standing on one of the roads on this island. We're going to follow the paths which are laid out. Uh, I think that's quite nice to point out actually because you just mentioned before that the island is quite small but it's actually quite big. Just a large part of it is closed off because of roads of other species, bats and such. I mean, but I have listeners like in the States and stuff, so for that this is a small island. It is, it yeah. is a really small island. I, I mean, say. we can walk around it in, in like an hour or two or yeah, something. I and mean, this is definitely true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, but it's, it's good that you pointed out maybe that the context is really important because uh, the biennial itself is uh, relying a lot on this context because uh, it is the main, and I quote, uh, venue for this biennial, the yes, island. Yes. And also our approach uh, that we decided to take was also to focus on this context of the island and being interested in site specificity. So I guess we also got curious about the history of the island and the nowadays like the context and everything that uh, was adding layers of information uh, related to the landscape and this landscape that we are in right now. Exactly. So we will be moving around in the part of the island which is accessible. I mean, and uh, the other part is asleep. It's resting. It's, uh, it's asleep. <laughs> it has quite a dense history, this island. So I yeah, think it's, it's one uh, of the military islands. Exactly. Um, another episode I did was with Roberto Fusco. It's episode uh, 28. And that was on Suomenlinna, which is one of the other military islands outside of Helsinki. So they have been part of like the military defense system around. Um, yeah, they're neighboring islands. Exactly. Yeah. And so this island is like one of the more like nature-ish and um, has only recently been opened up because there's like still areas where there could be like old uh, artillery in and like landmines and and stuff it's not completely safe yet it's a military exactly but it's also linked to the fact that it's ruled by this organization in charge of this protected area yeah so it's like it's coming from a heavy past of being militarized but at the same time right now it's a protected area so uh, it's yeah. supposed to be also like a space, safe space for other species. Yeah, I can't remember how, it's like more than a hundred types of butterflies that come here uh, or something in the yeah, summer. Yeah, and very large uh, amount of bat species mm. as well. And this in this 20 years where in which the island was pretty much closed off for, for human beings, mm. uh, they, they were able to thrive and find their way without our interferences. So. Yeah, it's good to keep those into account, and uh, it also questions, of course, what we are doing right now in our presence here today. If that's, if that should be, oh, we're recording a podcast, Miriam. Yes. <laughs> oh, it was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> good vibes. Ah, so when we say we're going to be following the roads, it's like it's gravel roads, so mm. you can drive here with a car if it's a small car, but there are no cars on the island, right? Like not no, really. It's like mini mini golf. Yeah, like of, golf cart. Yeah. Yeah, and or if they need to bring a car here for like uh, installation of artworks, they do that. But it's not like there are no, there's no traffic here. You can bring yeah. a bike, but that's it. But but there is some 
there are some buildings, but they're like wooden old buildings, and some of them are more like uh, haunted house shacks and less of like actual spaces. And there are a few old military barrack spaces. We will be looking at some of those. So that's the setting. Welcome to come with us for like a lovely Saturday walk. Okay, I will press stop now. Okay, see, we are recording with two recorders uh, just in case of the wind. And so Sian just said something smart that maybe we should just keep recording and then I can just cut it out. So I will maybe do that as well. I don't know if I should bring really expensive coffee now. You can uh, if you, you want had your to. Mind on I had my mind. I will do that. Okay. <laughs> okay. You can hold this. Yes, it's still recording. Absolutely. Got it. You want something? Yeah. Isn't that just a lot of Labrador? This now? Yes, definitely. That is a small and thin coffee for three and a half euros. So it's as overpriced as you hoped it to be. Oh yes, exactly. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, I got just what I wanted. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's really like we are geared up today with two recorders and I have my headphones on one ear, which I don't usually have, but just to monitor. It's a long time since I had an outdoor episode. It's good. Last summer days. Yeah. And I have been locked up with my thesis for most of the summer, so I haven't actually been out much. But I handed in the draft for preliminary uh, approval yesterday. So this is great. Ooh. Yes. Okay. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of editing. It's <laughs> going to be a lot of editing. It's going to be a lot of walking. But it's nice. I think so. It's okay. It's just chop chop. Chop chop. For the editing? Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like flashy editing. Sometimes I do a uh, performance uh, documentation and then I edit in bits and pieces of documentation sound over or under the talking or between. So then I do like flashy editing and that's more. This is just like cutting out bits. Yeah, that makes sense. It's faster. That makes sense. It does leave me somewhat now in a space where I have no clue which part is going to be involved in the recording. I mean, and if you not, like if you are, bullshit <laughs> and when not but I mean, if you are nervous, I can send it to you for approval no, before I'm, I post I'm not it. Nervous, I'm, I'm fine either way. But it's, I think we find ourselves in. It's an interesting point. It's true. Yeah. In an in between. Okay. Yeah. 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 I think that's what I've lived in in my studio for a year when recording the sound of my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that I'm like, don't really. I wrote about it in my thesis that I reached this point where I wasn't really sure if I was like performing the sound of my everyday life or if it was normal or real. Or <laughs> what was the conclusion you? 
Yeah, I don't know that I think I somehow have created this magic realism bubble and inhabited it and like self-inserted myself as a performer in it. So at this point, I don't know. I, it doesn't really matter, I think. It's like... Who's <laughs> going to judge? What is reality anyway? Whatever you make of it. Yeah. I mean, don't we all perform being a human all the way, way through life anyway? It's like, then I go to work and I do something with my life. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, we are still recording, so we will just keep going. Um, why did we stop here? We almost missed it, right? <laughs> it's easy to miss. Hey, yeah, we almost missed it. You know why? Because it's hidden in a tree. Wow. So I will explain briefly what we yeah, are what, looking at. Yeah, that's a really good so idea. So we have mm, quite an old needle tree. Um, I know you're like going closer to the sculpture, but you're going farther away from the mic. <laughs> but it's hard to see. It's so well yeah. hidden, this little sculpture. Okay, we're climbing um, a little bit. Okay. Yes, are we climbing? Let's go climbing. But it says yeah. you cannot go off the path on the very bright yellow sign. So maybe like this. Okay, let's not go further on this dangerous islands. <laughs> <laughs> no off-road expeditions today. Um, but well, yeah, we have this old needle tree here in front of us. Um, it's a small sculpture by Adrian Vila Rojas. I hope I pronounced his name. We will anyway also add links and I will uh, so that um, I will add the names of those works we're looking at but I will also add links to the Biennale that people can find all the artists and the works if they want to. So Great. let's not stress too much about representation in that like uh, because in the show notes you can find like direct links. Um, so I think the color scheme of this small sculpture is pretty much similar to the surroundings. So we have these mossy greens and brown tones, blackish. It's like, it looks like something that is part of the tree, that is hanging from the tree. Yeah, like a kind of a nest, right? Yeah, a nest. Or does, this one is a little bit like a broken pine cone or part of a tree trunk or something. It has the same like uh, quality as bark somehow. Exactly. But it feels like it's another material for sure. Like yeah. mixed mixed material. And also maybe. it's hanging like a pot or something off of the of the branch. Yeah, a little bit sci-fi aesthetics <laughs> we, we we get from it, no? And you you know that it's a different material also, right? Like we know that it's not wood. Yes. You know it's not wood. It 3D printed? Yes. Yeah. So shall we explain something about the I mean, let's explain why we stopped to look at it, why it was part of your tour, because you you decided yourself which works to include in your guided tour, right? Yes. yes. And since you chose to focus on the island as a site and take it from there, is that why this work was included? Because it's actually hiding a little bit. It's not trying to show itself as an artwork. It's trying to become part of the island somehow. Was that a good reading? That was quite a good reading yeah. you did there. Mm -hmm. I practiced. Um. <laughs> Yeah, there there are about 15 of these sculptures scattered throughout so many the island. Wow. Um, so sometimes you miss a couple because they are adapted to the surroundings. Oh, for um, sure. Uh, the intention is not really to 
it to be some sort of hide and seek. It's not not oh, it's not, not a, a game. It's not a treasure hunt. No, no, it could be. Could I think be. it is yeah. also. It's, it's a little bit. <laughs> it has different functions to it. So, yeah. but we uh, decided to work with the site-specific artworks on this island. It's uh, a sort of landmarks to understand the layers um, and the information this island holds and to understand it a little bit better. So what kind of information uh, does, our, do, does the surrounding provide us? And I think um, these artworks, these small sculptures, which are very much hidden within the trees and uh, the buildings and they the surroundings are, All of them large. are like parasitically attached to things that are already part of the island, right? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, but in a way it's attached uh, like a parasite, but at the same time it's not harming the tree because something that oh, yeah. the organization in charge of protection is really firm about is that you cannot install something that would leave a hole, I uh. mean in theory. So this is why then they come up with, like they came up with this uh, kind of a uh, attached that would be around the tree and not like through the tree, for example. Okay, because so you, it's you're not supposed to uh, alter uh, anything except that we know that of course when you bring like a million people on an island of course it alters yeah of course yes but of course. they're trying as much as they can not to in the first place okay so this is not attached like with nails or drills or anything it's like a Christmas decoration it's just hanging off of a branch yeah exactly mm. with a kind of a clump mm. yeah and so all of this whole series all 15 of them I have not seen all of them but are they all these like kind of alien pots hanging or like is that a current theme or are there different types? Yes, yeah, so maybe you want to tell a bit more about They cultures. They are uh, they are all adapted to the surroundings. They are inspired actually by the behavior of a little Ar Argentinian bird, <laughs> the Honero. And uh, this is quite a funky bird, actually. It, it scatters and finds materials from around uh, and then adapts the, its nesting to the environment. So it's quite an architect, like actually. Like camouflage. Camouflage, but they're all different, so... Do they use trash and stuff in populated areas? Definitely mud, branches... Because I have seen the, uh, uh, the uh, hedgehogs doing that here in Helsinki and it's sad. It is sad. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's yeah, what's they available. They adapt. To they their adapt. Environment. Exactly. Yeah. And exactly. so we will see that in some of them, right? Like this one we're looking at right now. They are all kind of off the path, but you can see them from the walking path. Um, so this one is in an area where there's no buildings or trash or anything. So it's super natural or naturalistic looking. But some of the other ones have more. They have a little bit more of that color. Yeah. Or but also something that is part of the artwork is that. Uh, in order to design or kind of find the design or the looks of it, uh, they existed first in an online world, a virtual mm. reality that then the artist uh, called it, what, the time engine? It's called a time engine, yeah. Time engine uh, in which multiple softwares are mixed and crossed and multiple parameters are at play and influence the look of the sculpture. So he or the team and he was uh, thinking how would this bird be affected by climate uh, change climate change or wars or 
I don't know, like deep interference time, with other past, species, future, everything. So we are looking at speculative evolutions of mm. what could the nest could possibly be exactly. if the bird lived here in a, another time and reality. Yeah, yeah for sure. alternate universe. Yeah, exactly. But then and then these works are uh, kind of taken out of this virtual world and then printed and then exhibited mm. in the space. Wow. So, yeah. And so are all the works in the island made for the island or like for the Biennale or are some of them like recycled works that have just been placed here? There are existing works for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, they have of course been selected for this uh, key uh, point of use, the biannual pick to be, so this agency, regeneration, well, contamination. They have all been curated. Exactly. But, but some of them have been created specifically for this island, like this work, right? Yeah. Yes. And you that's focused correct. on your in your tour and in your project about those works. We're yeah. focusing on these projects and then we combine them with various elements which are very present and home to the island themselves. So hmm. temporary and forever. And why did you choose that focus like what was it about it that like was interesting or made the other works less interesting or like is it a part of your general research or was it for the Biennale that you were curious about this aspect? I think like specificity is always our interest I think yeah we're really driven to think about what it what it means and what it brings to Expose, which exchanges are going on between audience and the work itself. And I mean, this island and the Biennale as a site, what a place to start digging into because there is so much yeah. to yeah. discuss about that. Yeah, exactly. But we were interested also in this relationship. How does the island uh, kind of shape the artworks and how now the mm -hmm. artworks being exhibited in this space are shaping also the island. So this kind of, yeah, like you said, interaction and uh, cool correlations, maybe. Hmm. And we will definitely see that more in some of the other works as well. I think we should quickly look at the sign across the, the path. Just the one that I talked about. So um, this is a very yellow sign in the side of the road here uh, from uh, Metsahallitus uh, or Forst Studelsen in Swedish uh, and it's like um, it's the forest uh, institute or like the, the, the governmental department for like parks and forests and like nature I don't know in order to protect and maintain exactly I don't know what the actual state body uh, name is in English they didn't write that here but it says in English and Swedish and Finnish no trespassing violators will be prosecuted and so there's no fence here but there are very clear very yellow signs in the middle of the screen that says it's illegal to walk here yeah and along the way it's funny because we encountered these signs from metahalitus we encountered the signs uh, for the protection of the species. We encountered the signs like, don't go there because there might be a mine. Yeah, it's military signs. So and you have a lot yeah. of information on signs. And I think as you go, you get more and more because then the biennial also adds its own signs. And yeah, there the are landscape. a lot of signs. Yes. And they become this weird, like, site-specific work on their own. Yeah, yeah. Different actors. 
different actors, different, like they all are coded in this way that they really stand out towards the background. So the background here is this mossy green stuff and then it's this super yellow sign with a red outline. And so, yeah, it like, it scars my eyes a little bit in this nature thing, but you're supposed to see it. So that's in on the border of Russia, like um, in the east of Finland. They also have very yellow signs uh, because Finland is like this. There's no fence between Finland and Russia, you know. It's just like two kilometers of nothing. Exactly. Uh, but um, but there are like signs. I can't remember if it's two kilometers. But there is like a gap of like military area that is, doesn't really belong to any of the countries of both of them. And there are just these yellow signs with a hand saying like stop you cannot cross the border, like you will be prosecuted. And then they have a lot of like video surveillance and stuff. Um, so sometimes berry pickers, for instance, they accidentally cross mm. into the military area. Like the board, I talked to the border police there uh, when I lived on the border and did a project in a village. And um, yeah, sometimes because berry pickers or mushroom pickers, they look down when they walk yeah. and then you just walk in the forest and you, there's no path or no, it's not like the signs are everywhere. So then sometimes they catch people who did not realize they were walking in like an illegal military zone. And so this is why I guess there are so many signs also in this island, because like now we look ahead and I don't see one more. I know like 50 or 100 meters further, there will be one more, but they have to put them quite frequently so that people can't see. I didn't see it. Say like, okay, okay. If we walk like exactly. So this is like what, 50 meters? maybe 40 meters i don't know it's not far they have to re but then people can't say like i didn't see a sign they're sure and also like you say three different uh, bodies of authority have put their signs out so it's also a lot of people shouting with their own exactly uh, take on the agenda exactly. absolutely It's quite aggressive, isn't it? It's really aggressive. Yeah, like the <laughs> <laughs> violators. <laughs> We're being called violators. Yeah, yeah. And also like, you know, exclamation marks and like uh, toxic uh, color, like this is yellow. It's dangerous. But I mean, yeah, it is, it is aggressive, but I guess that's also, you know, like it's military and stuff. Military or or the habitat of the roots of others you know there are no, a lot of we don't have to be everywhere no and i mean the thing is like there are a lot of rules in finland uh but but like they don't need to enforce the rules so much because people generally follow them and so signs like this i'm sure they're very efficient in a place like this that if there are so many signs people are like oh we're really not supposed to do that and then most people really don't do that no, yeah. I don't. So this is why we can have a place like this and we don't need to look at an ugly fence all the way around the road. There are a few places. Oh, there's one more. Let's look at this sign. Just quickly. So... Oh, it just says the same, but it, in a lot more languages. One, two, three, four, five. And six, it also seven. says the paragraph that you can be prosecuted for. Um, it's in Russian and 
more maybe Estonian okay anyway yeah it's not a it's not a podcast guided tour of the science of Valisari but it's <laughs> definitely part of the but we kind of wanted to but also this non-york approach to the different type of information that you get from the landscape so I think we mentioned them yeah they were part of your tour yeah, as yeah, well yeah. and they're part of like the politics about having a Biennale here exactly. because if a lot of these signs are always here they're not put for the Biennale visitors they but they have put up more since the Biennale started happening here I guess yeah I have been to this island before it became the Biennale and then I have been to this island for the last Biennale two years ago and then for this one and there's definitely changes has happened to the island and also changes has happened to the Biennale since the first one because that was very different than this year mm -hmm. yeah and also the the next one might be the last one we don't know oh really uh, they're talking just, about that no they just signed the contract that was for three editions so ah. for now we don't know and this one didn't do so well right this I have no idea but it just announced the new curators for the next one have you seen yeah. okay wow it's the I think Ivan Stegen is a two curator from Ham and another invited curator mm. so maybe this time they made the decision to stay with someone who is kind of part of oh, the so you have not been rehired you mean <laughs> Who? Like all these other extra bodies no, no, of no, no, like. No, 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 this is not what I meant, isn't it? I meant that every year they invite an external curator ah, to curate okay. the biennial. But this year, this edition, it was a curator, Yurisha Kisha, who was uh, external to Ham, the museum. Ah. And for the next edition, they invited someone and they kind of teamed up this person with someone from the museum. Okay. So they would be both of them curators. Mm. Let me know if you see a trash can somewhere because my tiny There's coffee cup. Maybe yeah. yeah. Okay. Maybe inside this work will be better for the wind. Yeah, I remember the artist said that she picked the less the less windy spot on the island. Which is hard. <laughs> if so, it might be here. Unless you do something in one of the buildings, it's really hard. Yeah. But this one, okay. Oh, it's nice to see it has grown a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah. Maybe, uh, what is up with this work? So we are here in the work of Alma and... Um, Heikela? Sorry, yes. I'm a Heikela. <laughs> and um, it's quite nice. This uh, We're standing inside a white cube in the middle of the forest. Uh, there are some, some openings in this white cube, actually. Um, the walls are also not walls made out of plaster, but they're made of this sheer kind of net. net. Is it like a mesh fabric? Yes, mesh. It's mesh, but quite dense. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it's kind of see-through, but um, like you're looking through this white screen exactly. somehow. Yeah, 
or it becomes then a screen. It becomes a white screen. Yeah. And when you say white cube, what do you mean? Because the two things this term means, which is kind of the same. Like it's a term to explain the style of galleries where all the walls are white, so the artwork really gets to stand out. But a white cube also is like we're literally standing inside of a square white tent building. In the middle of the forest. Yeah. So, of course, it's a play on the words, but um, can you explain how it like looks more than that? Because it's not just that, right? It's not just that, but I think the work uh, adds on to both the meanings. Yes, of course. Yeah. Of the white cube, whatever one you decide to go for. Um, so. I mean, there's something in her work that usually she exhibits inside of institutions mainly. So inside of these white cube. White cube. Mm. And this time she was asked to exhibit in an outdoor setting. So she was actually thinking about how to show my work in this kind of con uh, context. So I think she kind of openly said that uh, to her it was like she had to think about it and to adapt to the context, of course. So this is also why it became this site-specific installation. So she built a white cube gallery in the forest to accommodate herself being in the forest. Well, how to bring work about the forest into the forest if everything is already yeah. there, right? How, how do you interplay with, with that? So what's actually nice about putting this white cube into a forest is that it's not really white anymore. It's definitely not really white anymore. <laughs> I think over the course of three months it has some mossy, leafy trails. Yeah, so, I mean, there are two big openings. So part of the walls of this cube, you see the actual forest backdrop. And then the floor is the actual forest floor with like uh, dry leaves and twigs and stuff and dirt. Um, and then there's a sculpture. Yeah, there's this, like she thought about how can her work still interact with the forest and the environment. So this is why she decided that on the roof there would be an opening, uh, so the natural water, the rainwater, would come and drip onto a sculpture, a plastic sculpture that is uh, exhibited just underneath in a kind of a little plate. Basin. In like a plate of water. Yeah, and it's maybe like two two meters wide. Or, and uh, so the idea was that uh, along the exhibi exhibition time, the sculpture would change and the colors would change. And now we can see that inside of the little pond, uh, there's a lot of dead leaves, a lot of uh, kind of uh, organic matter. And earlier during the summer, when we were there, in the early days, there was also a lot of mosquitoes because they found out it was a great place to lay eggs. And so it kind of also became this like shared ecosystem. I mean, that was so insane. When we were here for your guided tour, it was right when the mosquitoes came. And Finland is like notoriously known for being a mosquito country. And we're inside the forest here in the shade, which they love. And then she built this extra like shaded area with this cube. Uh, because like mosquitoes don't like the wind of the island but then she built this like shade from the wind and then she made a pond for them to lay their eggs in she built a mosquito hut exactly so it became a trap 
for us. It was us, insane. Like when humans. we were here, I couldn't hear anything yeah, you were saying yeah, yeah. inside yes. this work because, yes. like, we were all just jumping yes. with mosquitoes yes. sitting everywhere. Yeah. I, it's and I think wow. she liked this dimension, even though she didn't mean it like in this way. But I think she was quite happy about the the result and this kind of multi-species interaction. At Do you least. think she knew she's not finished? Do you think she, she knew how many was finished? She is finished. She is from here, and her studio is not far from Helsinki. So she absolutely knew. Yeah, yeah, I mean, she was conscious. She just didn't know what kind of species would, you know, get invited and stay. Uh, and because we can so also see on the walls that she's also a painter or actively working with paint and uh, also 3D prints of little uh, maybe organism that you can find in the subsoil. And you have this idea also of this kind of, you, you don't know really the scale of what you're looking for, uh, looking at and looking for. So it's this kind of what if you would see what you don't see when you're walking the forest, all these like microbes and uh, yeah, uh, worms and, and composters and, and uh, larvae. And I see now on the wall that there's like actu an actual insect uh, that I don't know about, a kind of a spider, but it's not one. It's a kind of insect no, that is... There was is, a big beetle over there before. Yeah, that is really becoming oh, part no, of it's the this, it's like a chill one. Yeah, exactly. It looks like the one that are uh, surfing on the water because it has only six, or it had six legs. So it's really not a spider, it's an insect. Ah, but it's a spider, it lost some of its legs. No, I uh, think it's an insect. It's a Meyer in Danish, so it's one of these uh, spiders that are, have a tiny little uh, pinhead body yes. and then super long legs. Yes. It's not a daddy long legs because they fly. It's the one that is like, that, that long legs would know wings but this one has lost some of its yes. legs it has five legs but now. i'm pretty sure it's not a spider because spider are four i mean eight ah uh, yeah and like that might that might be but anyway um yeah so, so yeah so invitation to be here and to kind of get more uh kind of maybe attuned to your surroundings that's what this artwork proposes in the end and right now there are no mosquitoes because it's so late in the season that i'm pretty sure they have died most of them um which I'm so happy because I thought it was really fun that she made an artwork you couldn't actually see or you couldn't spend a lot of time with it because you would be eaten up. So it was not for the humans, this artwork somehow. It was for the insects. <laughs> yeah, but she's, she's also asking these questions like, why would you do an art, like put an artwork in the middle of the forest? Like, should we actually do this? Yes. Should we just stay inside of the museum walls for the humans? and? not other species or can it be like a kind of a meeting point i think these all questions that she's raising mm -hmm. and so also because of course the white cube is the sculpture in itself like there is the sculpture in the middle i think we forgot to say what it was so is it like a tree trunk that she has cast it is a plaster yeah it, but it's like but it looks like a broken tree trunk with like fungus uh, mushrooms growing on it right yeah, I think what we see is a mixture of of this water which drips from the ceiling mm. on top of the sculpture. Leaves uh, are present, falling down as well. Um, and slowly by slowly this water which holds so many microbes and probably fungi as well started to creep on top of this sculpture. and. But it's a little bit like you have a dead tree trunk and then like insects start inhabiting it and stuff and so here it's like a fake dead tree trunk. I mean she is 
kind of interested in this like aesthetical way of raising maybe uh, questions about environmental questions. So mm-hmm. there's this uh, kind of quite political stance on the trees in the management of forest uh, everywhere in the world, but especially here in Finland oh. because of the industry of forestry. So there's not so many dead tree trunks anymore because... uh, They clean them up. Exactly, because this is considered as not meant to be there in the first place. But (laughs) yeah, uh, this idea of what is clean, what is uh, beautiful, what is aesthetic. And you also have this, um, on the other hand, idea that it's like it's full of life so it's mm. really becoming this shelter and, and it's like a house. it's, an it's a hotel. huge yeah hotel it's like a huge uh, hosting a lot of communities of microorganism and so she's also bringing this kind of back as a because it's really beautiful what we're looking at Super beautiful. and so she questions through the bias of like aesthetic uh, aesthetics uh, and uh, sculptures uh, like questions more linked to what is aesthetic and what we consider as a society to be or not to be and what is allowed and what is not allowed and like you know so this might not be an exact cast but it it looks like it could be an exact cast of like a hollowed out empty dead tree trunk like breaking off in parts but because it's white here on the brown forest bottom it stands out like a sculpture and that is what she has done with the walls as well right i want to go back and explain this a little bit more so we are standing inside this white mesh tent kind of kind of but so we can see the trees and the green behind but it's blurry and then of course the white is not white anymore it's three months that it has been here yeah. so on the top there is like all these dead leaves making this like brown black uh, silhouette pattern like a wallpaper on the top and on the walls like there is now it's like they're painted with this uh a marble looking pattern of like mossy green thing is that something she did yes yes and so she's also interested in these like uh if we think about the blob for example or all the microorganisms that are in the subsoil uh that are creating these communities and uh, uh that are uh holding color um and so these colors then uh they get to interact also with the forest and the, the brown tones of the forest that kind of stained the mesh but the the it was initially like a painting and it's it's just like a kind of evolutive so painting the green did, did you paint it green or has it turned green from being in the forest no it was painted okay yes and now it's just more it's like it's it's a bit stained by yeah. the interaction with the forest for sure uh but there's also this idea that then you will see through what's behind it and depending on the time of the day uh, you will see maybe shadows of leaves and, and trees around mm-hmm. it that are projected, like casted on yeah, the, the shadows and the light gets and the screen. Change. And so we'd like, I mean, we like to call it like the the, the, the kind of the theater of the forest that is mm-hmm. then casted on this like uh, these walls that becomes visible because you were saying usually Miriam that the because when you're in a forest. You, there's so many information, like so many visual. You can't see the things. forest for all the trees. Exactly. Uh, is that a saying in, da- in English? In Danish, we say that. Uh, so, like, if something is kind of like, it's so obvious that you can't see it. So, yeah. yeah so you say you can't. to can't see skoven for batrea. So, like, yeah, you can't see the forest because too many trees are in yeah, the way. Yeah, it's it's a bit this idea that when there's so many things, then you can't see. And if you put like a kind of a mesh or a screen, then you kind of allow. Uh, the public to become more aware of what's surrounding. So yeah. I think that's also... You're framing it in yeah. a little bit 
of a way and you're turning it into like a movie screen and then yeah. letting the movie projected be the yeah. forest projecting Life itself and ephemeris ephemeral yeah. Yeah. yeah it's nice i i think this is a nice work and it's interesting because exactly this spot the where she has chosen um is where one of the most controversial and discussed artworks of the last biennale was placed uh which was a soundscape um playing like on a loop every day for three months and it was so loud and yeah. parts of the soundscape were like war sounds like so it was war yeah. in the old days with yeah. horses and and stuff but it was also like bombs yeah so every day on a loop the whole day like and like for the whole summer bombs were like sonically going off here yeah. in the forest yeah. and it was super loud and yeah. I, to experience it one time it was one of my favorite works here because as an audience as a one-time experience just sitting there for 10-15 minutes that was great that was really nice but i thought about it like oh my god the birds and stuff that live here they have yeah. been to war for three months now yeah and like not just like one day the bombs are falling no 10 hours a day yeah yeah. for the whole summer yeah. it's so intrusive yeah and so she has made this work that really questions should we not just look at the forest as an mm -hmm, artwork mm -hmm, and she mm -hmm. has made it exactly where the most like maybe bad artwork for the for, for the yeah. island and the forest was the last time so i assume that is not completely coincidental from her side yeah it really became this sanctuary in a way mm. respecting all life forms around and what they have been especially because so many mosquitoes time. that she hosted here yeah, <laughs> yeah they yeah. were thriving they no were but it's thriving. wonderful i mean the thing is that she probably knew that would happen and so she made an artwork that now people couldn't stay here the whole day yeah yeah i'm sorry did i cut you off i do that a lot no not really okay good no it's fine <laughs> <laughs> um, nice. Yeah. Do you want to say more about this spot, or do you want to move on? Here, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. The sun, the sun do you want to explain what is beautiful right now, so the listener can see it also? <laughs> What's beautiful is just the shadows of the trees being projected on the on the mesh. Like a living moving. image. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's very lovely how many light layers of time are present within this work. With your presence, like what you say, with the amount of time you could spend in here. Mm. Um. Yeah, I mean, if you sat here the whole day, of course, the painting on the walls would change a lot because the, the sun would move all around, yeah, exactly. especially yeah. in the summer when it's just like the sun is basically just going in a circle. It's almost not going down. Exactly. And it shows in different times, it shows different, different beings which mm. are around here. It's also quite a lovely spot, isn't there? In this circle we have in the ceiling, mm. projecting a completely different. It's quite similar this work to what James Turrell does, which is like cutting a hole in the wall or the ceiling in the gallery room, so that uh, what you go to see in the gallery is basically just like the sky outside of the gallery, and then this like light contrast and to just make a painting that is the natural changing sky situation. It's uh, it's not exactly the same visually, but it it's reminiscent of that, I think. Okay, I think let's move. Oh, yeah, yeah cute. Oh. We have a little visitor. I don't know what it's called. It's a little flying insect that is sitting on the recorder. <laughs> cute. So, uh, like Sian suggested that we walk to the crawfish pond. Yeah, sure, yeah. let's do that. 
uh, because I think also, yeah, we have gone a little bit in depth with two works now, but that also makes sense because yeah, they're good, they are good <laughs> works and and also you need to go in depth with some things, you know. In life. In general, yeah. I mean, you can't just like skate over the surface of everything. Skate. Oh, look at those. What? Raspberries. Oh. I did not see that. I was blinded by the light. Mm. Taking a raspberry picking break. Mm. Oh my god, I could stay here the whole afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come back later. Yeah. Can we uh, stop? I know this is not like part of the tour, but um, I think it's interesting. So can we just uh, quickly talk about this building? Because that's part of the military structure that is left and it's kind of built into the bedrock protruding it is yeah so it's like it's a military barrack but it's a little bit like a hobbit military barrack yeah half buried kind of uh, building yeah so it's like it's half of the building is like a bunker inside this protruding bedrock uh, granite thing like this little mountain and then half of it is like then an actual building built out from the bedrock side but with then, like trees uh, on top yeah then a hill grew on top of it yeah so like it's a funny thing because it doesn't look like a hobbit house it's like bigger and more military looking but it is kind of like a hobbit house so i don't know like that is just interesting that uh, even the military when they were making this as like a fortress island they also did this site specific blending in with the surroundings and i don't know if they have tried to camouflage it for yeah. the enemy yeah. but it's still it it like yeah. aesthetically and and like stuff it's they have Exactly, and it's funny because even now, if you look at, if you check Google Maps, then you try to find them, you can't find them. You can't them. see the no, houses. I mean, the, ah. the big one you can, but the other ones are really hard to spot, even nowadays. And wow. they're not, you know, and, and they're not like, uh, I think they were more hidden even in the past. Because yeah, they, they some put, of this is yeah. red brick, but some of it is also rocks that look like part of the actual mountain. Yeah, but from the top, you, from the top, you nothing. No, of course, of course. Yeah. yeah, so it's really interesting, like for the Biennale and stuff, like how this island has always somehow been this place where you try to blend in with the surroundings. Mm -hmm. it's for this different reasons obviously for different reasons yeah exactly different agendas using this place um and yeah for the listener who hasn't been to any of these islands like valisari and the neighboring kuninkan Sari, where you can walk over they feel a little bit like being in tarkovsky's stalker like that is kind of the set we're in so the buildings and the bunkers and stuff that are left it it kind of feels like that so just to like um help you come here <laughs> like come here a, with us like yeah from from abroad you know and did you say that in some of the buildings they would actually exhibit art oh yeah last time like all the buildings almost not all of them but a lot of them yeah for sure but this time as well yeah this sign is cuter there's it's very windy here but i will try to say so now this is a tiny little sign and it's white so you're not supposed to see it that much it's not important but it's cute it has a really big flower and then under the really big flower there is like an adult walking with the child and it says that the terrain is sensitive to erosion 
so please keep to the marked trail. So you see, these are like cute signs, which is why they don't need to be very big. Mm -hmm. It's not important. <laughs> yeah, and maybe one thing that's interesting to note is also you can only go to this island with public transport in the summer. You, it's not illegal to go here in the winter, but there is no boat sailing here in the winter time, so you have to go on your own boat. Oh yeah, another alien thing. Oh, it's too windy here, I think. <laughs> this alien thing looks more like an ant or the head of some like a uh, brown bony thing, or I don't know. That was a weird description, but I think it's kind of no, true. It is like the yeah, right, like a like a or wasp, a wasp or something, yeah, some insect part or like a skull thing, like yeah. Okay, I'm recording again. Um, so, oh, my headphones just. Can you hold this yes, for a moment? Yes, absolutely. Got Thank it. You. Because I need to monitor a little bit. Okay, so right now we have walked. We're on a different, different walking path. There is actually a fence here, which is super ugly. This metallic fence is not very tall because it's not for humans. It's for sheep. Uh, that is on the other side of the fence, but it's super ugly uh, and it's really long. And like you said, there is a sign that says, don't feed the sheep. But because there are so many signs in the island, when you have walked this far, Maybe you stop reading them. Maybe it's there. But I think also that's an interesting part about having so much signage is that you stop reading the signs when there are too many of them. Yeah, but because it changes like color, font, uh, I don't know, purpose, I, I tend to read them still. But Did you want to say something about this pond? Uh, or did you want to just say something no, about I the lake the, or river, yeah, what it like thing? The, the sheep sign is there. Oh yeah, Do it's, not it's a bit like humorous sheep. as well. Sheep become ill from excessive food, they get the necessary nutrition from grazing. I know, it was another one that was a bit... Like it, it was like the voice of sheep that was saying, uh, "We don't need our, your sandwich. Like keep your snacks for yourself or uh, something like this." Yeah. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> yeah, but actually, it is really beautiful here. We are walking next to this like swampy pond with like all the ferns and the trees growing in water inside the forest. There's a reason why a lot of uh, uh, butterflies and uh, endangered species and stuff want to come here. It's because it's this kind of wetland area um, with peat and stuff and things that don't grow everywhere in the world. This is one problem that has been with Danish nature conservation is that uh, because so much of the country has been drained to create optimal farming conditions, uh, a lot of the wetland areas have been drained and have disappeared, which is where we had some of the rare animals and and plant species and stuff before i guess so yeah same goes for finland hi yeah. we're doing podcast interview oh yeah nice. <laughs> see you <laughs> hey friend from school well, i'm really curious to see how the sound quality and level would be i have a feeling like i've been shouting for half of the <laughs> recording to like uh, so maybe it will be clipping a lot with the sound of my voice <laughs> No, you're no. not shouting that much. No, that's good. When when I have the headphones half on, I can't really estimate my own gain, you know. Oh, wow, 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 wow. Wow, what? Oh, it's lion's mane. Marshals. Isn't it lion's mane? I don't know. No, I think they're more smooth on top than... Ah, yeah, no, it's not. It's I don't, I don't think it's lion's mane, but yeah, it looks no, a little bit like it. Lion. It looks like a coral from the sea. Yeah. 
So this is what happens when they leave dead trees to rotten. Then there's a lot of life coming out of it. Yeah. Yeah, so right now we're looking at some tree trunks that has fallen. They're not completely rotten, but they have lived, been here for a few years maybe. And there's now all these mushrooms, some of them looking like white sea corals and some of them looking like uh, hats growing out from the tree trunk. Look at that one! Oh, this one! Looking out from the little window! Can't you see it? That window. There! It's like, hello! Whoa. Hello! Peeping out of the little bark window. Are you sure it's not lion's mane? Yeah, I'm very sure it's not lion's mane. I would not eat this for... <laughs> no. <laughs> no, not at all. They're very tree-like, aren't they? Mm. Like the willows. But also, I think that one and that one, they're not the same, right? No, this is this different. It also has these hanging. Okay, maybe it is the same. Wow. That is beautiful. They are new, huh? New addition. They like it, yeah. They're really pretty. They're new. <laughs> I think even if it's a bit messy with this kind of audio walk, even the sheer excitement about <laughs> things will be good audio. Look at that one! At least that's what one friend said. She had listened to a few episodes, uh, a friend from Copenhagen. I was like, so what did you think? And she was like, it's really cute how excited you are about stuff. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know. That seems like a weirdly wrapped compliment. <laughs> nah, that's a good compliment. Yeah, it's it very is. lovely. It is. Oh, sheep. Oh, we have found the sheep. <laughs> and we are excited. <laughs> okay, downhill. Also, many people are having romantic time here. Yeah, and yeah. we're just gonna. Yeah, we are. Because you have a sign, you're official. Yeah, of course. Oh, here's another sign. This one is purple and like has cartoon things. This is definitely more like uh, for the families and the children. And it says, uh, each bat follows very own flight path. And then it has some information about northern bats and brown long-eared bat and other bats. Cool. Um, maybe we can sit down somewhere? Yeah, yeah, we can try. Uh, where? Here? Yeah, <laughs> sure. We can squat. Okay, so, oh, did we take all the good squatting places? No, it's fine. Okay, um, so, explain, where are we, how does it look now, so the listener can come with us. So we squatted down in front of a big pond. Yeah, it's, it's like a, a little, it's a lake. It's a lake, but it's, it's a an, pond. Is it an artificial lake? It's an artificial pond, yeah. yes. So back in the days they came here by boat, as one does on an island, and uh, you're running out of drinking water, oh right? Yes. So you can't drink the seawater, that is poisonous. Mm. Yeah, it won't keep you lasting for a long time. No. So they came here to stack up on water. So they brought all this water here, or they let the rain come accumulate? How? Yeah. yeah, but it's from the Middle Ages, it's actually from how do 16th you, century. How do you make a fake lake? 
You dig. <laughs> you dig. <laughs> you dig. And also this this island before it was called Lamisari, which yes. is Pond Island. So it was really There is another Sari called Lamisari. Yeah, well, I'm sure there's other ponds in other islands as well. Ah, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But this is uh, the spot that uh, the artist uh, remedies, this duo of artists, picked for their artwork. That is uh, called... Uh, I, I think I just had a piece of forest fall into my butt crack. One <laughs> squatting under Keep a tree. It I'm sorry. It. I'm Keep sorry. It. <laughs> no, it's fine. I, I removed it. <laughs> this is good audio. Good, good material. I'm, I'm sorry for uh, interrupting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, nature. Nature is everywhere and takes over. Even the tents. Huh? <laughs> So yeah. what were you saying? Yeah, that we're facing this pond, <laughs> looking at this uh, artwork. Yeah. Um, yeah. Body artistic duo called Remedies. Remedies, yeah. Do you want to say a few words, ma'am? Well, what they usually tend to do is to go to a specific location and they look around, go into conversations with the locals to to gather knowledge and gather gather understandings of how how generations on generations people have been finding remedies remedies from our surroundings like plant based uh, is it this artist duo there is a couple who does a lot of like decolonizational work yes yeah right yes yeah i saw Sariko and sasha uber and Sasha Hooper, yeah, yeah exactly. And she is half Finnish, half Swiss, half Asian, and he yeah. is Finnish. And so they have done a lot of like decolonizational works where they have gone to mountains that are named after like uh, racist uh, dictator tides, and then they like rename them or something, and they do like uh, like ritualistic like freeing areas of colonizational history and stuff like this. Yeah, so, and, and this, yeah. this artwork is called Sanctuary Mist. So also with this idea of thinking about how now the island came to rest after being heavily uh, militarized for so many years mm. and how they spawned. And now uh, it's protected, so exactly. now it's kind of the opposite. Exactly, so now it c came to rest. And this pond is like a meeting point for a lot of species to come also and to rest. Yeah, I wanted to see the crayfish. So in this pond there's like little fishies and stuff, but there's also a lot of crayfish, which in Danish I think is Jampohoma or something like a cups, some kind of cups. And so, yeah, it's these little micro lobsters. <laughs> I don't really yeah. know what else to call them. Yeah. But there are a lot of them and now there's a lot of people, so maybe that's why we can't see them. But that's nice. You don't see those everywhere. Yeah, and uh, the what I was about to say about this yeah, artwork. I, I'm sorry. Ah, uh, yeah, it's based on this idea of the pharmacon, which is at the same time the poison and the remedy, and the base of medicine, and how smoke or fog or this kind of uh, ephemeral also uh, um, particle suspension or water can be healing, but can also kind of a uh, signal danger so if you see smoke you think oh fire and if you know the history of the island and you think oh maybe there's a bomb or mine that ah, is about yeah, to yeah. explode from the pond the pond uh, and this is why i'm talking about science there's also a sign <laughs> up there saying 
No worries. No, not this one. No swimming. Yeah, no swimming. No swimming, no barbecuing. And the sign is like almost falling into the yeah. lake. So it's a little bit so funny. So you shouldn't swim because there might be still remainings of uh, weapons down there. Yeah. They don't know what there is. But up here, there's a sign saying uh, from like the biennial people saying, no worries. This is an artwork. This is not <laughs> no danger. danger. Yeah, so the audience or the listeners now don't know. So this like this work is literally smoke on the water. Yes. Uh, and it was fun because, like you said, the Poison and the Remedy, that is also a song so, quote, right? So, like, there's a lot of songs happening in my brain right now. Poison, got the remedy. And then there's, like, smoke on the water here. So they have somehow artificially created a mist or smoke on the water of this pond. Not the whole pond, but, like, a little secluded, uh, like, part of it to the left. Um, and, of course, like, the wind is affecting this aerial sculpture and stuff but so this is what you mean when you say that someone could see the smoke and literally think that the lake was on or on yeah. fire yeah yeah because this uh, there was actually a big explosion in the past that killed a lot of people because of this not in recent years but i think in the 60s or 70s on the island yeah mm -hmm. this is why what? the valley that we crossed was called the death valley so uh, oh wow it is it has a heavy history of i of, didn't know yeah, this of explosions and stuff uh and of course they are uh, I mean, I assume making reference to this, but at the same time, uh, they are, it's just like this water evaporating from the pond that they're using with this um, system that they put on the top water, uh, the surface. Hmm. Uh, because also they couldn't put anything on the bottom floor for the same reasons, because we don't know what's there, because we don't want to disturb. So it's just basically uh, mist uh, coming uh, from the water of the pond evaporating, what hmm. we see. Okay, wow. Yeah. I mean, it's quite small, this artwork. I feel like it would have been beautiful if it had been bigger because I just like more. Yeah. But I do think they're quite a talented artist duo who do really like uh, like some of their works are like very clean aesthetically and very yeah. nice. But also it's like if you imagine it to be on the top right of the pond then the wind that comes always or most of the time from the same direction would have blown in the good direction that we would have seen it yeah so definitely they had to work with the site a lot because yeah. of the conditions yeah. how does it work in rain have you seen it in bad weather this work no that's so interesting if you could still see the smoke or mist like maybe possibly in the rain yeah not a lot of people go here when it's raining a lot i guess Okay, so I think those were some really good selections of work to choose, like some of the best ones. Um, but I was thinking, maybe should we sit by the benches now that there's a little bit space? And then I would like to ask you too about like your process with this, because mm -hmm. now you almost gave the tour again. And yes. that was, I think for the audience, that was really nice. Now we know what we're talking about, but I want to know like about your work in it. But yeah, because my legs were getting a little tired from squatting. Okay, so ah, there's a little bench here, and someone has obviously had a barbecue here uh, on this table. Do you there's think like you could design before or after? Oh, before the the bench almost burned. Like, have the table is like charred in the middle? Yeah, maybe they put the sign after. <laughs> Possible. <laughs> um, okay, cool. And then I can like maybe put something here. So, um, 
Yeah, so now the audience, the listeners now almost got the same experience that like what I experienced here with you, that you took us for this walk and we talked about the island and the works and the Biennale. Um, but maybe it's interesting to talk about like, um, like you talked a little bit about your interest area and why you chose to do this, but like how do you, what was your process? How long have you been working on this? What, how did you engage with the island in order to make this work like did you see it before the biennale did you know what works were going to be here or how like i don't know if there's some illuminating aspects of your work process that you want to share where to start where to start because it's i mean it doesn't have to be the whole thing just if there's some highlights or interesting aspects that you feel like is relevant to say Uh, shall we start maybe with the going back then to the sun piece a little and the writings? Mm, yeah, sure. But if she's, I think it's easy to answer just the tour mm. first. That basically we decided to focus on commission size specific artworks, mm. which means that basically, and also because of organization of big art events in general, we were really. We had no agency <laughs> in knowing when we would be able to see the artworks. Yeah, you're pretty low in the hierarchy of this large uh, yes. production structure, yes. right? Yes, and also uh, we knew uh, maybe one or two sentences about what it was to work about, but we got to see it on site, have finished one week before the vinyl opened basically only one week before yeah so then we came back several times and then we kind of imagined a tour that w was based on an approach and then this we developed before hmm. so you started some of the work you did before and then some of it you actually had to wait until the biennale had opened until you could like finish your project it was more about i think the framework that we decided to work around that hmm. we worked uh on it for a couple of months maybe mm -hmm. six six months in total heavily possibly yeah. yeah but i think then the tour was more like the kind of uh a more like a faster kind of reaction to something that we were seeing that we mm -hmm. kind of adapted to but yeah i think the main research framework maybe if you want to say a few words about yeah. how this came to be yeah that makes it possibly a little bit more concrete so we started writing this essay for for the publication we made in which we are um, questioning how a place is made uh, based on all the layers of information the different agencies in a spot mm. so like we can go quickly back to this science for example where where this metahalitus did i pronounce it right for the first time no yeah yeah Wrong. yeah i think so metahalitus <laughs> um but how this uh how they have their own agenda and then the military had their own agenda everyone has their own agenda so this this place can be read from from very various many viewpoints um mm. and uh which shows also like how history and different like um a lot of this is like state controlled and so like throughout time different things have been like focal points or priorities and so now we're in the area era of conservation uh, yeah one and, could and say not like military protection of the sea coast or like yeah yeah there's still some militarized islands though mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. not 
But yeah, so I think by by finding out which uh, actors are at play in a certain site, uh, we try to we try to grasp as much and as many as possible to get an understanding on how we can read and understand this place because very mm. often you get just based on your background or how how uh, a tourist agency or or this governmental body is framing yeah the history that's what way. you know right but there are mm. so many more layers uh, and few points to take up to so you can decide for yourself how you understand the place. So how did you find some of those like that are not like the normally presented or or like represented aspects? How did you go about like doing this research? Reading books about the Roman law <laughs> of the sea. Wow. <laughs> Um, Wait, what, what are we talking about right now? I just lost track of you what lost we're track. trying like good. talking about now. Because I it's true, it's true, this is true. But I but just like, so Miriam was saying like, yeah, you wanted to go deeper into like the layers of a place and yeah. then like what is like the first package you were presented with about something. And then I asked the like... Text. That's really, yeah. So I asked, like, how did you go about that? How did you oh, research yeah. that? Because also you are not Finnish, right? So like we are all in this country where we try to figure out stuff that is not like so easily accessible always yeah. because it's history about a place that we don't speak the language. We uh, we don't have our history here. Yeah, but I think this is why I wanted to kind of. Uh, uh, sorry to cut you, but I think this is like different processes that came to be mm. one after the other. And I think our first uh, research framework was not uh, specifically based on Valdisari. It was more about the, the the sea in general, the Baltic Sea. Okay. And uh, then also the sea ice that is that we find in the Baltic that is on top, and diving through the sea ice uh, into the water body and ending up at the bottom of the ocean in the deep deep sea floor. So this mm. is what our text is about. And it's also, so the soundscape, was that like an early part of this process and then the tour added later? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So we started with this process of writing this uh, essay that is part of this publication from which we kind of developed a method that then going through this layer of, of, of information, like Miriam said, uh, borrowing from different disciplines. So this is how we processed. Uh, and then we got into this uh, scientific uh, lab research facility on Alto's, uh, Alto University campus, uh, which is a research facility on sea ice and ah. icebreakers, the boats, and also offshore wind turbines. So we found ourselves into the space uh, that it became this like, uh, I mean, I don't know, this just artificial landscape that then we were fascinated about. Mm. Uh, and first it was about to, uh, we wanted just to get to know more about this. And then we ended up recording sound and images inside and interviewing uh, scientists working there. Yeah, maybe let's talk about the soundscape a little bit because um, well, I'm gonna edit in some of the soundscape in the beginning that you present to the listeners as the first part of the tour. So exactly, this will be the first part of the episode you listen to, and that is reminiscent of how I experienced it. So there's this little boat you go on, and I think I will add like recordings from the actual boat so that they can experience the same how I did. That like when you hear 
when you sit outside on this little road and listen to this audioscape, you're unsure of what is part of the natural sound or and what is inside your headphones because they mix. The boat sound is so loud and the ocean is like so you you kind of mix this artificial landscape with the real one and so it becomes this really interesting immersive on the boat like in the soundscape he talks about this like uh, lighthouse and stuff and then I was looking around I was like where is the lighthouse I don't see it and yeah. and then it's not actually he's not talking about this place right yeah there's a lot of uh, different temporalities and spaces that kind of mix yeah in the space that is surrounding you which and in which mirror. you exactly you experiment experience this mm. in a certain context so this is why we call it like science specific because we also imagine this to be listened on this ferry to come to the biennial exactly. yeah, to yeah. be a, a kind of introduction I was always wondering how it must feel being trapped in the ice. Typically, this question is answered from a human perspective. However, how must it feel for the ship? Finally, I was able to move, saying goodbye to the pilots of my way. I was informed about the whole expedition. The walls have ears indeed. Floating low, loaded to the gunwales, I wonder about my total weight. I feel nervous about the final aim. Entrapped in the ice, survival not guaranteed. In any case, I feel in shape to resist the pressure of the ice at my flanks. Rounded sides will allow to pop up like cork, bending the ice from there. Rolling through the waves on open water, the men get sick all the ranks. I instead enjoyed the most, the wind, the waves and the salty air. Reaching the Arctic, growlers and burgy bits tickle my keel. The men look nervous, I sense their fear. Less cold for me, slow and numb I feel. Now I wish to be back at my pier. My body is creaking, Eyes attached to my skin. I'm sleeping. And which sets you in this weird, like, uh, superimposed reality mindset. Like, it, so this is like your entrance. You go through this little, like, uh, weird uh, fairy tale version of the reality while going there with someone telling you stories, and, and it's very poetic and. You don't know what is real and then you arrive at the Biennale where it's like what is actually real because here also someone is telling me a lot of stories about the place and things and framing reality so I think that's a, an interesting artistic choice to to do to, to because you could have also done it the other way that, pe that the tour ended with it on the way home but sure. I think our main uh, kind of goal was to propose a certain yeah, just to propose a certain vision or becoming a bit more aware or paying more attention mm. to the surroundings. And this is uh, why we wanted to propose it at first. Mm -hmm. But it's true that some people listened it on the way back because they just they got to know about it later on during the tour. Mm. And so I think it's also okay because I think it's a kind of a transition 
transitional moment in between Definitely. island and land crossing the sea. The and surface. you timed it to be exactly the time of the boat tour also, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, like more or less so you can you can listen to the, the whole time of the it's about seventeen minutes I think. So then in this way I think it's also okay for us if people listen it listen to it on their way out. And also individually because the sound piece is, is meant to be listened to on your own device with your own headphones. Yeah. In your own on your um, phone. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So it's it's really like a kind of DIY setting that you can do uh, individually. You can also listen at home. Also, but this is like why we kind of intended it uh, to be listened to on the ferry because then, what, like you said, exactly the, all the sounds are merging from. Mm. So I think you have a, a little bit of an experience if you're listening to it at home, but it's also okay, I guess. Yeah, but you don't have the visual experience and the physical experience of actually being on a boat yeah. on the. But it yeah. was so nice because it was summer and then talking he's talking about this like the the boat breaking the ice and stuff and then you are sitting there and it's just full summer it's so warm and sunny and so it's this weird juxtaposition of like two seasons like overlapping and well for me it's interesting i've just been doing this in my thesis project and writing about it in my yeah. thesis so yeah. i for me this is uh hits home but um, do you want to explain a little bit about like how you made the soundscape and who this guy you collaborated with was? Because that's also an interesting method, I think. Hmm. So, uh, the where to start? See, I'm just explaining that we have been visiting the ice tank on the Alto campus. What, what is an ice tank? Exactly, uh, it's, it's a research facility. I was talking about a big yeah, research yeah. facility. It's just um, like a swimming pool for from forty by forty meters, and they uh, it's it's not so deep, two point eight, yeah. yeah. I think, and um, they they freeze the water okay, surface. It's like a pool of ice. Yeah. Basically, very thin. <laughs> it's not like a big block. It's not not a like the this icy landscape we encounter here on the coastal areas of mm. Helsinki, right? Where it's really special to see sea ice in my home, your home, the, the North yeah, Sea. You Den don't really see that Denmark in the Mediterranean, also not where mm -hmm. you're from. Yeah, I think Denmark doesn't get cold enough that the sea literally freezes like it does here, because in Finland it gets so cold that actually like the sea can freeze. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But insane. also the Baltic is really not so salty as the sea, so it helps the so, freezing yeah. process. Exactly. Yeah. So that encounter led us to be curious too. Did you know this place existed or did you just find it in the process and realize they have a pool of ice? No, and we knew. You knew. We wanted it's to wild. go already. Okay, so you made up a project that allowed you to access the ice pool. You can see it like this. I think we <laughs> kind of, all the things we wanted to do converged uh, into this becoming. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah. So we contact them like, hey, we have a bunch of questions about sea ice. Tell us more if you like, and, and they the they like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we went into com a conversation with these researchers and engineers on eyes mm. and all the structures which are happening close to our eyes and further away from us. And um, we nice. we they opened the doors to us That's and amazing. of this big big freezing minus eleven minus seventeen. When this when the ice has been made and the space is very loud, there's a lot of spraying going on, there's a lot of mist and a lot of almost fog in, in, inside the basin 
and that way we basically create the the ice cover layer by layer. So this bridge keeps on moving and spraying water, ethanol mixture, and that keeps on freezing on top of the 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 ice basin. So in nature, the ice grows downwards. In our case, the ice actually grows upwards because it's been built by these these layers. This whole process takes hours, maybe 10 hours, 12 hours, depending a little bit on what type of ice we want to generate. The ice in our ice tank is not exactly similar to to natural ice that you would have in a sea, for example. We scale the ice strength and, and compliance as well. What the end result is, is that our ice in a let's say a standard type of model scale experiment is actually quite soft. It's almost like sorbet-like, so it's not exactly the type of ice that we would see in nature, and, and which is typically we think as it being very hard and, and brittle material, but it's, it's, it's quite, quite different from that. Can you go inside the tank or like physically? No. no. Okay. You what can go because you can be in this carriage that moves on top. So that's what but they use it for. Yeah, because they're, they're supposed to study the ice itself. So if you walk on top, of course, you're going to disturb the whole thing. And also, like Miham was saying, everything there is scaled down. So everything is kind of miniature. Mm. So mini boats. Yeah. So you were in a mini boat? On no, the, the it's like they're, they're <laughs> testing the things with a smaller boat. But the ice also itself is scaled down mm. for its properties to be also scaled down, so the ice is very soft. And I think if, if yeah, I it can looks continue a bit like there. slush, exactly, slush puppy. But yeah, the thing yeah. is that we Maybe arrived yeah. there thinking, ah, oh, yeah, we want to record the ice, the sound of the ice cracking. Ah, and this was our point. And, and then, then we realized that <laughs> the ice was so soft; it was not making so much sound, and the tank was like so heavy, like the. Like the the soundscape in this in the tank is so loud mm. because there's all this like air conditioning that it makes it possible that it's minus seventeen uh, yes, when it's outside course. plus seventeen that then it's really you cannot you, I mean the sounds are really really high so then we ended up recording anything but the ice uh, in the process so we realized in the process that <laughs> what we were recording was actually the sound n like necessary for the ice to be there in the first place to exist but not the actual sound of exactly the ice. Mm -hmm. exactly wow. so and then we also talking with more researchers we kind of also find out found out that when researching sea ice out there uh, like in the field uh, you're also on a big boat that is creating a lot of sound as well, big, loud, big metal box, big Super metal hard box, to get soundscape, this clean sound that you exactly. wanted. So it's the impossible. thing is that oh. every time we're trying to get close to the sea ice, the sea ice sound is covered by the sound of us, like our what allows us to be there in the first place. So mm. this was our conclusion, and I think it's also if you want to see it on a poetic side, it's also the more we look for it, the more it's disappearing, and like sound of ice also disappearing. Uh, the more we come here to visit the island, the more we are destroying the island from visiting. We did not really go this far, but just in general that the climate will like raise and, and I don't know if we will still be here to to experience it or to witness it, but mm. at some point there might be not so much ice anymore in mm. the future. So I think this is why also we're kind of interested in recording these sounds. Um, and I think this is how the soundscape came to be. And then we felt like we wanted to include 
a multitude of voices to have this kind of plurality of points of view, uh, some from the same discipline, from some from our writings as artists and our research, and also some that were more collaborative with one of the researchers, Tim Hammer, who we found out was writing poetry. And so we kind of asked him if he wanted to collaborate with us doing poetry. So this is also what we did. Does he write poetry about the ocean already or did you ask him to write about this? Yeah, so we found out that he published on his LinkedIn like a poem on the ice tank itself. What? And we found that it was yes. amazing. Perfect. Exactly. And so we were like, oh my God, we have to propose <laughs> him something. I we think don't that's know what. really nice. So we started this and actually we had a meeting with him last week mm -hmm. and talking about the process, how it went for him. And he felt that being this free, the, the, the freedom that we gave him, at first it felt it was weird because he's never used to it's having this much freedom. Scientists are used to right? the rules. They're exactly. Yeah. They have exactly. four year exactly. plans yeah. and they yeah, have yeah, this yeah. trajectory and yeah. preparing exactly. all the research. But after a while, he kind of liked it a lot and he was really thankful actually that we kind of created this space for him to, wow. to create in there. So I think it was a nice collaboration in a sense. That, I, um, I think honestly, this yeah. is one of the first things you really told me more in depth about, about this whole project project is that like yeah we're doing this project and then we found a scientist who yeah. writes science poetry yeah. about his research <laughs> and I was like what yeah. because honestly I think most researchers probably feel this way that they feel super poetic and emotional yeah. about their work which why else would they do it you yeah, know? yeah yeah or like of course there are many reasons but I, I think mm -hmm. when you get such a close relationship to something I think that is definitely aspects of it, but then it's not that many researchers who sit down and write actual poems or about publish it, maybe. Or publish because it. you don't have maybe the space to do to do that. So yeah. I think for him it was also nice that we created the space for him to actually express it. And you said he published it on LinkedIn, yeah, which yeah, is like more of a, like a, a network, uh, yeah, a fellow, fellow researcher. Oh, that's amazing! Yeah, yeah, yeah. What yeah. a way to stand out from the other ice cap researchers, <laughs> right? Yeah, I think so. that's super cool. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, the listener, if you also think are excited about the poetry of um, science and stuff, there are like another episode is the one I mentioned with Roberto Fusco because he used like meteorological uh, data from these buoyancy points in the middle of the ocean about storm data. Mm -hmm. And then he translated that into like visual art stuff. And there we talk about mm. like <laughs> nobody really knows how the waves looked but he tried to visualize it uh, but they were not for us to see mm, so it's this like mm. secret vision that he has tried to then like use or mm -hmm, yeah mm -hmm. the poetry of, of mm -hmm. that and how science people use it differently and actually Laura Dalberg uh, or Dalbari I think it's called pronounced in Finnish um, the episode with her recently about alien babies um, alien robotic babies she talked about how she also got to go into a lab i guess in alto also and work with them about her work because she has been using this um polymer plastic thing which is light uh sensitive uh, yeah sensitive exactly so it's this plastic that you shine the right light on it and then it moves like it's alive oh wow and so they're like researching it for applications where it can be hard to use um mechanical force and stuff like in surgery maybe and things where it's so like light could be used as like the mechanical oh, wow. uh, movement 
but then she got to go there and you research it for her artwork and they were making all these tests with her that now she exhibited in in hum in these videos mm. and stuff and she had the plastic there and nice. and they were also super excited to work with her because it's a different way to work with the material they work with every day and then this artist comes and they're like can we make these little tiny exactly. sculptures move and exactly <laughs> yeah yeah sorry yeah. it's not to hijack the episode but i always try to give the listeners cues on where else to go if you have interest in these areas so yeah nice i'm so excited to include some of this science poetry in this episode yeah. of course we will ask him if it's okay but yeah we can add a link to him also if he wants to yeah i think it's super nice in the sound piece that it really guides you through through the landscape both in your ears but also visually while being on the boat it helps you to get into this other mind space mm. um, because the the other information that is being you know you're you're encountering while listening to the pieces it's quite rigid and straightforward it's scientific it's because it's about the infrastructures of yeah. the tank and how it functions and how how this place works so we can understand what's going out on out there you know and then there is uh, Mark the other scientist who is explaining to us how ice works and how it behaves and how it's constantly changing oh my God. and um I love um, someone you know yes yeah it's very it's scientific so this is and at the same time when you hear it in your ears you're so distracted by the visuals of being on this boat and it's exciting and then because the sound is like murking with the actual sound and all this you don't really understand what you're being told either like it's it's a lot of data and also it's like a little bit blending so much with so many things that it becomes this like porridge of exactly things. you can zoom in and now exactly, whenever yeah. you you catch something mm. there which sparks your interest whether that's the view or through your ears i think mm. it's uh it's it's nice when things can be complicated as well yeah i think we don't have to get everything but no not everything needs to be fed with up. a spoon so we are sure that no one missed the word like it's yeah because our yeah. surroundings are super complicated we don't have to make everything more s simpler or cute and also it's art you don't need to understand everything and people don't need to understand the same thing either i think that's fine i think an interesting aspect of this is that we start a group tour with individual experiences of the same thing. Mm -hmm. So was that something you talked about? Like, was that part of the curation of the of the setting? Yeah, it was because I think it is important to as this this whole method we have been developing is about how you perceive something and what whatever your background is or where you're coming from you understand a place very differently mm. um, but we keep this information away we scan our surroundings and are triggered by certain things we keep this oftentimes to ourselves and whether you're walking through the urban landscape in the city or here on the island or somewhere else you don't like narrate what you see ev to everyone walking with you well, it would be funny. Maybe we should try that out. I don't. I, I would. You would learn a bunch and understand it very differently. Honestly, I think I, to some degree, do that a lot more than other people. Yeah. I, I don't know if they always enjoy it, but it's. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. I think it. 
I would enjoy it. Yeah. If it happens like that, <laughs> very much so, very much so, because you 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 un you learn so much about each other and where one is coming from. Yeah. Um, also in that way, so we wanted to open up that conversation with the list the the visitors or, or the listeners as well, like how what what did you hear and what did you see and how is that different from the experience I had for example and mm. um, and also it offers a talking point for all these strangers walking together for an hour or two afterwards that if you don't know what else to talk about at least you just heard the same soundscape also and be as confused as <laughs> someone else <laughs> was yeah because we're walking quite a lot here on the island yeah. uh, so you have this Lots of pauses where you can just look around and be silent and let it come through you. But it's also a nice way of encountering or, or going into a dialogue with someone else. Yeah, for sure. Did you feel that people were confused about the soundscape? Did you have a lot of like questions about it afterwards? More, more confused in the sense that so much information is dropped on you. That, uh, like and then that also important? the intensity of the sounds and then when the piece is done you enter the land and then it's like silence and rest mm. and then the contrast of the the fullness going into like this more empty but it really does set the island in this more like it's a it's a special vibe then right or like it, it really does become a transition when you're like in this and then afterwards like oof, natural soundscape okay exactly yeah. yeah i think that worked out pretty nicely so that was yeah for sure Yeah, we were very happy that that worked out because this has been an experimental process as well. And also coming maybe back to the question you asked at the very beginning, like how long have you been developing in, in with the biennial being built here on the island, mm, which yeah. also has to be done in a specific amount of time. Because it's an island, it's not a museum. You have a different timeline for building up everything. and Yeah, it's um, difficult to bring stuff here. And also yeah. that you're very much related on the limited infrastructure, which is a play. So we didn't know about many of the artworks or their vinyl form uh, very long before we were making this. Mm. this tour so that was um, we had to find different ways around in which we would we would focus more on the island itself or on how to perceive certain things and then mm. we would add the artworks to that yeah no, see I'm just coming back from saying hi to her friend we just talked about she's an artist also from the island here no no okay um Yeah, so we just talked about this, like how the it affects the audience uh, listening to this individual soundscape and this reality, and then coming to the island and then being shared in this like acoustic environment. Yeah. And then now we went back to like the timeline of things mm -hmm. of the Biennale and of your process. Um, did you have had you visited the island before you knew where you were going to do this project or was it like you were presented with this opportunity and then you experienced the island for the first time with that with that in mind we were there for the first edition of the biennial mm -hmm. okay. so i think we had memories from this time and was that the first time you saw the island with the first biennale yes. here? oh that's wild let's talk a little bit about the first biennale maybe <laughs> <laughs> no because but like we just moved to finland at the time and it was i remember the first week of school that it was lockdown still but we were allowed to be outside and so we could yeah. go on a day trip 
and the Biennale was outside. Yeah. So, yeah. so so we could go on a day trip and, and encounter the new people that we would study with for the next two, three years. Mm -hmm. And then also getting to know Finland, being on an island that was magical, discovering everything that was uh, I mean, the island there. is magical. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I really remember is. stopping every two meters and, and taking a picture <laughs> of this, like, amazing flower, amazing red leaf and mushroom and stuff. And I like that you say you were here for the Biennale and you stopped to take pictures of the nature because <laughs> this Biennale was so full. No, okay, so do you it have... It was very Do full. you have the numbers in your head? Do you know how many artworks were here this year compared to the first one? I'm not asking mm. you to know, but it, like, it's drastically different, this Biennale. I say one third yeah or like even less maybe yeah the first one felt like a fun fair like a yeah. circus like yeah. a tivoli yeah everywhere you looked was a construction was a work were performers yeah. was yeah queues of people mm -hmm. like waiting to see something mm -hmm. it was so full yeah. it was insane it was like the i felt like the island would have fallen into the ocean mm -hmm. from all these extra weights of art and people right yeah very much so and so this year, there's very few artworks compared to it, which is why it's also nice that this walk and this talk is a lot about the nature, because that's also what the Biennale is now more. It's actually yeah. just a reason for people to come and see the island somehow. Yeah. But it's also one of the reasons why this island is still open for the public and there's not a new neighborhood and people living here because it's like it's protected area hosting mm. the biennial. So it's and still... the first biennial was a little bit of a violation to those things of uh, maybe yeah of course because having such a big art event of course is going to disturb things but mm -hmm. what i meant is that because there's some activity that ah. the city uh supports then it also leaves space for other types of encounter that if maybe the biennial was not there or maybe other type of activities would take mm -hmm. place here yeah, so okay. it's also like a way to, to see things. Yeah, it's like... A, because a, there were ur urban plannings for here. Really? Yes, mm -hmm. that oh. were not uh, fulfilled, but they were plans. It's so, the you know. poison and the remedy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so there's also budget change, right? So like the biennial, maybe this time they realized that, that the last one was too big. It was the first biennial that Finland has ever had, I guess. Maybe for those who don't know, biennial is this like big art fair almost, like this big exhibition happening every second year mm -hmm. in a place and so artists from around the world are curated to be part of it. But it's usually a big fucking circus no matter where it is. Absolutely. And it's a weird way to present art because all the works are like um, yeah, it's like going to a Tivoli for art somehow. It's like in a way it's good and in a way it's also like commodifying and mass uh, presenting something in a way that the artworks don't get to breathe and like uh, the consumerism of it is a little bit it's it's strange. one touristic yeah it's and it has yeah. like a social and uh, ecological impact everywhere that it is like a lot of neighborhoods are affected in many places where they put it where the business is not brought to like the local vendors but people flying in the country to yeah. visit yeah so those are some discussions and then this was on this nature island but Finland wanted to make a big show out of it because it was the first one and they had to wait a year because of COVID so it was even delayed and this time the budget has been seriously sliced uh, and I'm I don't know enough politics about that maybe Clement talks a little bit about it in the episode with him in Ham but but yeah a lot of like political yeah, I think they, they got 
one budget for this three years and then they will see if they're going to continue or not and but then a lot of it in the first one yeah i think they wanted to go in with a bang and yeah. there's uh this first edition was just getting more more money and attention and then these up following editions would just have to do with a little bit less but I kind of appreciate it uh, that this year has lesser works. Uh, these are by these are this is by I think, for example, all these buildings we have been talking before, they were filled with artworks where there were screenings, yeah. like some of them are right now as well. Um, but there others so there were installations works. and. Um, they had to find out last edition that because there's no climate control, which is heavily going on in the museum, right? To mm. to keep the works in the shape they came in, and also have them going out of the museum in the same condition, which is a good condition. Uh, like but these buildings are are cold. And they're moist. They're moisty. Yeah. Under under the on the floor, right? Yeah, so yeah. also that influences the quality of the of the works itself. Mm. So by finding out what works and what not works for the island and the artworks itself, they over time are finding out what's Yeah, I mean in a way it's a to good do research that. side, huh? To do stuff mm -hmm. like that in this mm -hmm. secluded place. Mm -hmm. I think it definitely feels healthier this way and also I mean last time it was not possible to see all the works because there was I don't know how many, like sixty video works or something. It was insane. Like it was too much video. It was a really good reminder. I make a lot of video works. It might be really fun to make them, but someone also has to watch them. And it's not always fun to watch art videos. It can be fucking boring. And so if you go to a Biennale and you have to spend like eight hours watching video works to see the whole thing, it's too much. But maybe this is not towards the artist, but more toward the curator. No, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like no, that's not what that's deciding what I mean. what's there and what's not there. No, definitely. But this idea of overfilling a space, yeah, yeah, yeah. that it's like packing it so that you can't even... We mm -hmm. were running around deciding what to look at mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because there was no time to see everything. So it became almost like a stressful selection or uh, yeah but isn't that always the case mm -hmm. with biannuals and yeah or if you go to really really big museums of course okay. like the similar but still I, like the curation of an island like this i don't think it needs to be like that like with this biennale you can definitely see everything and you can still like eat lunch and mm -hmm. chill out yeah yeah it's a it's a way more present way of experiencing art because it doesn't have to be rushed you can take your time yeah I think that's a really nice relationship that 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 you that you get while being here. There's a different pace to your presence. You're looking around constantly, and I think. And if it rains, it rains. If it rains, it rains. <laughs> also. Yeah, there are not that yeah. many places to hide. <laughs> How did your relationship change with the island and with the Biennale and like the whole like? Mm, it's a big system to suddenly become a collaborative partner of that you know a little bit about from the outside but like how has it been now to be this involved and to meet the island and the people and all of this process so much I mean look I just met someone who was looking for the little book we wrote and I had one oh, in my bag and I just gave really it lucky to her so you know what I think it's still spreading and I think we are also really eager to continue on this project that we started for this 
that was like let's say the start the starting point was like okay we have to do something for this biennial and now we think we found something that is worth continuing so i think mm -hmm. we're just gonna continue this project and let's see where it leads us leads us maybe on a boat maybe in the sea maybe in the ice yeah, let's see but possibly yeah i think for i mean at least for me i think it's it was a really nice way uh to just yeah get to to think about something really deeply and uh spending time on it a lot of time as well so in this sense i think it was it was fruitful how long have you when did you instigate this project like the I, I think remembering like actively it was like like actively starting it was around January end of January, January February yeah, yeah I around think that so. time. and now we're in September so it's like almost the whole year yeah yeah and it kind of took over as well oh yeah it got out of hand yeah <laughs> yeah in a good way yeah in a good way yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just both made funny faces to each other <laughs> Yes, but I think it's also, you know, you, you started this podcasting, oh, you're always together, I see you always together, and I think because we've been working a lot together. Yeah, I mean, I got to know you in December last yeah. year, so, yeah. But also because we're friends and we were already hanging out before, you know, it's just like, I think this kind of took a lot of our time during the day and during mm. the night, so we ended up spending <laughs> a lot of time together. Yeah. And also learning how to work together because this is not just because you're friends with someone that you can work with them. No, so, not necessarily. Yeah. And it can be really dangerous for a relationship to try to like force a different position on, onto it. Absolutely. Yeah. And we had to, because we're neg negating different disciplines within our work, because I think that's where our common interest lies. But that's that's not an easy thing to do because you don't want to simplify things but you also want to to be understandable but then that same process went on for us because a lot of research we are we yeah. are our brains are working differently although we're both from the arts and mm. uh, we are having a bit different background when you're writing a text that's interesting with mm -hmm. how language works um, also, the English is not our mother tongue, and we have to exactly. write in English as well. So, yeah, yeah, so there, yeah that all these processes mm -hmm. uh, were taking up a lot of time, and I think uh, we had many discussions about that, Oof, which yeah. were super many. nice. And <laughs> <laughs> we learned a bunch. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I remember some discussion about like the tour from uh, here, like you finding the balance about who says what and how much and like because you know hosting a group of people and guiding and talking curation is a lot about communication and taking the visitor by the hand but you literally did that like it's you yeah. didn't just do it as this metaphysical background aspect you did it on site every time how many times did you do the tour two or three times three, yeah three times, three times. Yeah. but every time it was this whole like guided tour where you were like performing a role of guiding yeah. right and just that we need to say that this is not our thing we're not like mediation people or tour guides we're artists and curator <laughs> and we had to do it and i think we enjoyed like it was i think it was a nice opportunity yeah. to 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 transform this method that we have been writing yeah. about to mm. You can experience that method while reading the text, but you can also implement it in a site itself because that's what we propose yeah. in the text. Mm -hmm. So we, it, it, 
it just makes sense to do this tour as well and to find out how we can how we can do that in real life that method we have been describing about understanding a place but and then also making others aware of what we were trying to do um so and touring together is more fun than touring alone so i guess in that sense <laughs> always the more the merrier right but yeah it's um it's it's uh, not it's it's not our expertise and it's so different like it's explaining someone something in a text where you don't have to like be there when they read it or say it and then to like actually perform it i mean yeah. it's it's one t part of it really requires like social capacity and energy and yeah. like and skills and yeah and skills uh -huh. yeah. yeah definitely i but i thought it was cute the whole tour guide like look at that alien part there <laughs> look at this sign there remember to notice we will see more of these things <laughs> and like i have been a, like i have done tour guide work and stuff yeah. i've worked with tourists and done these kind of performative things so i have done this stuff a little yeah. bit like this yeah. and i was like wow it is like that i did one guided art tour to copenhagen with students from the academy that i organized some people came I lost my voice almost because the whole week I was like, look at this thing there. Look at that. Hey, keep up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But the biennial is ending tomorrow. And yeah. I think, yeah, we've been there a lot. So I think also for us, it was, yeah, the process of getting to know the island a bit more was uh, during the, 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 the biennial, like, mm -hmm. uh, the, like the public. And... Yeah, let's see how this project continues after the binary is over. Because for us, it's not like over. No, we will continue to yeah. to explore how this method can be done in a visual manner. Because I think, to a certain extent, that's not what we've been doing. Although we have been doing it through a in a another context, words maybe. and sounds, but yeah, yeah. A different context. Yeah. Yeah. And we have mm. we have material to work with. And we have plans to record more material. Ah, you've been with. filming and taking photos and stuff as well? Yeah, all filming. Yeah. But I guess you will see in the future. Ooh, interesting. <laughs> wow. Uh, so, um, do you have some kind of uh, internet sites where people can see uh, your stuff? Like, can they find you on social media or do you have websites or something you want to share? Can you add this in the little text under the little sound? We will add it Podcast. in the text, but also if you can just, if you say, yeah, I have a website, it's called that, it's good to also say it. So Miriam has a website, it's called Miriam Ross. <laughs> dot nl or is yes. that how you pronounce your last name class yeah. you don't even say the g yeah it's the Kras. g yeah. from netherlands it's the, it's the, the dutch g yeah. <laughs> it's drowning it's in r's <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. okay and my website is cnpng.com so. yeah so we will add them do you have public social media or not also have mm -hmm. instagram and both of you yeah both which are the same our names yeah. yes and um we will if there are any vika links that you think we should add we will add them we will yeah. ask the poetic scientist if he has like some kind of site he wants to share where people uh, can check his something i mean on this i'm not quite sure but i think what we show here or what we can show is like the collaboration that was happening so everything is in the sound piece basically but for him, I think it was really about this collaboration and uh, 
Yeah, but like, I just I, I like to add the link. If people yeah. want to add the link, so we can so we can ask him. Sure. Mm -hmm. Do you have a public link that you would like to share with people who heard some of your poetry? Maybe he has a website or something he wants to share. I mean, he has the or LinkedIn. a nice paper or yeah. or something. <laughs> and also something like maybe a link to the lab, to the ice lab we can yeah. find. So check the show notes, listener, if you want to check any of these things. Um, and the other episode about the rest of the Biennale in Ham. Uh, is there anything that I forgot to ask you that you want to mention? Anything we didn't touch on that is important? Something you want to say? Thank you. Thank yeah. you! Thank you! And don't Thank forget you. to share with each other how you look at a place, maybe. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Like what we discussed just yeah. now, I think it's nice. We talked how it would be fun if people were narrating out loud what they see when they walk in places. So just right. say like, wow, look at that thing there, wow! <laughs> is that a lion's mane mushroom or is it not? <laughs> I think it's a different one. Don't put it in your mouth, Tanya. Okay. I just realized something. Look at this. Like the horse uh, things. No, no, here. The what? Like in the sh in the oh. <laughs> oh, horseshoes. Okay, Under so uh, we are sitting on this little bench and there's a little roof and there's a horseshoe nailed to the edge of it. Is it saying Is something? Is it a code? Is it saying something? Is it language? They're flipped in different directions. Some of them could be used, some of them C's. Yes. Some of the N's. Yes. NC. Well, I this was, one I don't. J, I was here J, a lot C, and I did not see it just that before. Was a good detail. Good yes. narration. Yes. Well, <laughs> okay. I'm now sending I think it. it's a, I think it's go. a really long episode and I think we should go home. It's yeah, a bit cold, so right? It's home. also the sun is <laughs> the sun is down. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you. I will try to edit this so that it's not too messy. Like three hours. <laughs> yeah, no, it will not be. I have done a, th a like three hours with myself, but uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, in conversation with myself. <laughs> yeah, I did that. I did three that. Three hours. Yeah, I had to put it in two episodes. It was too much. <laughs> okay. Bye. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed it.